0: Culinary Institute of Child Nutrition proudly presents The Mix-Up, an IBites bites production. Join me, Chef Patrick Garmong, as I mix it up with child nutrition professionals and culinary experts from the child nutrition world. Welcome back to The Mix-Up. I am here today with the director of Sweetwater Union High School District, Mr. Eric Spann. Eric, welcome to The Mix-Up.
1: Oh, man, thank you, sir. Thank you for the invitation. As I said earlier, good to see your face. <laughs> You appreciate too.
0: You. I appreciate you too, uh, listeners. If you haven't had the opportunity to to meet Eric, um, he's amazing. I got the good fortune of meeting him this year in January when uh, the Chef Ann Foundation and USDA took a site visit to his district, and I was fortunate enough to be included and um, just saw an amazing program. They're doing so many cool things. I'm not going to spoil it. I'll let him tell you about it, but. Uh, know that this guy's doing some awesome stuff in this district. So, uh, Eric, if you could just tell us a little bit about your district, uh, so folks can get a good idea.
1: Sure, we are, so I always like to tell it like this, man. We're just south of San Diego and just north of Tijuana, so uh, we have a, a little bit of, of mix in population. You know, of course, we have a high number of Hispanic and Latino population, but we also have, you know, Asian Pacific Islanders, we have african-americans we have white uh it's just a really good mix of people so it pushes us because we have to be flexible in the type of food that we serve uh which works for us and so when you yeah. talked about when you talked about that visit the first thing that came to my mind was the the pho that we showed, you know that we share with you guys and and um you know how those eggs are coming from our chickens that were right on campus and you know the the ceviche and and Programs that we're working on to get more fresh fish, in. so, so we're a middle high school district. Um, we are uh, right now doing de- declining enrollment, about thirty six thousand uh, students. Um, we are about fifty six percent free and reduced. We are uh, universal meal, or as they like to call it now, uh, meals at no cost. Uh, yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> California uh, did that for us, and so. Uh, we are feeding kids. Our numbers are growing uh, yearly on the number of meals that we're serving. Uh, just last week we did 105 thousand meals. Um, wow. you know again it's 36 thousand kids and you know we're we're tracking pretty high. so uh, a good mix of you know middle school, high school, and we do um, you know just everything we can to try to make sure they have a great enjoyment, enjoyable uh, meal program.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And I think your district's so unique. Um, I had not been to one that was just middle and high school um, with a different district kind of being a feeder system into that. So it's kind of a, you know, you think think about 36,000, you know, 12 to 18 year olds, that's a whole different demographic to want to wrap your brain around and feed. And um, I think that's really cool. I know that you have a large military um, population down there as well with, with the, the different bases. Um, do you see an influx of students throughout the year? Do they stay kind of static? How does that kind of uh, play into what y'all are doing? Or maybe they're bringing really cool, unique ideas from across the globe back to back to your district?
1: Yeah, our so our numbers stay pretty pretty stagnant. I mean, you know, we don't have a, a, a big fluctuation. I think for what we're dealing with, it's just, you know, families, you know, weren't having the kids, you know, that by the time they got to us, um you know our, our district would, would, would be able to keep those kids in like most districts we're under the pressures of charter schools or different programs that are opening up like any district across the country we know that um declining enrollment is something that we're all facing yeah. uh, but what we are finding is that we're starting to get uh students into our district that we didn't have before um i met with a, a student the other day that is muslim
0: and okay,
1: she was concerned about, you know, uh, pork on the meat. Yeah, absolutely. I like kind of inflate, you know, idea that there's just pork, pork, pork everywhere. <laughs> uh, and we're like, no, it's not, we get to sit down. But I like those things because it gives you an opportunity to really dispel myths. Yeah, you talk directly to someone that has an idea about something that may not be true, but it was really good to know, oh, well, now we need to start thinking about culturally relevant foods for that population. And, you know, so we're setting a mission to try to identify, because if they're a very small population, they're probably not going to be very vocal on campuses, but right. we reach out to them, bring them out so that we can, again, make sure that they know that they're they're wanted and and supported in our program. So we're working on a program now with the student to help us uh, by her being an ambassador for us and help us with some outreach.
0: Yeah, I love the mindfulness, right? Even though they're not maybe a larger demographic that's knocking on the door asking for something, y'all are identifying that they're there and, you know, making sure that the cafeteria is a safe, comfortable space for them where their dietary needs are met. And um, yeah, I mean, I think sometimes Directors, you know, we get bogged down in the the day to day and don't think about those small pockets of the population that maybe aren't participating in our program because they they don't know anything about it or they can't access it because the foods don't meet their different dietary things. So that's awesome that you guys are doing that. Um, The other thing I think is really interesting about your district is you all run kind of a year round uh, program which um, is kind of cool too. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I've always kind of worried about like learning loss during the summers, you know, kids are out for eight, eight nine, ten weeks. And there, there's a lot of different things that can happen in that span of time. And I've got two young kids and I worry about their long breaks. So um, mm-hmm. how do you all notice that affects um, not just the academic side, but maybe the way students access and participate in your program? You
1: know, I got to tell you, man, I, I like it. Because it's it's not a lot of breaks, you know. We we stay fresh and, and we kind of have an inside joke now about you know May because our our school year ends in June and then we start back up in July.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow!
1: So this might be gonna hold be on, I'm gonna give
0: people a second to absorb that. Ends in June, <laughs> starts back in July. When I heard that the first time, I was like, "Oh man, I'm all for no learning loss," but that's that's a quick turnaround.
1: No, it's crazy. right? So we we just know, like, on our end, that we're doing kind of three things at the same time, you know, we're, we're ending the school year. We're starting summer school, even in that break, and then we're also starting up the new school year. So, you know, so all that planning has to flow together, right? Like, okay, as we start to run down inventory, for like for us for 22-23 we need to make sure that we have summer school set up but we also need to know uh manufacturers are not ramping up until september when most of the school districts come back online so our planning has to be we have to be very strategic about what we're going to put on the menu we got a new crop of kids coming in because there's new seventh graders that are coming in you know, even though our eighth graders are moving on to high school, that's still a different experience.
0: Mm-hmm. So how
1: do we make the experiences all kind of flow? So that's yeah. the the part that I think now it's like we're, we're okay with, um, but it can be challenging. But, you know, we we figured it out, man. We we just communicate, communicate, communicate.
0: That's the key, man. I was sitting here listening to you talk about it thinking being down in San Diego, I'm sure as other districts are kind of Slowing down the, you know, food vendors and or, um, you know, your, your delivery folks—they're probably gearing up their warehouses to meet the the summer influx of tourists with restaurants and stuff like that. So they're kind of maybe hopeful or thankful that some of the school stuff kind of mellows down a little bit while that ramps up. But yeah, you guys got to be in constant contact with them, and just this is when we're starting, and this is what we're going to need, and we've got thirty-six thousand students that we're going to be feeding every day. So um, let's let's get after it, man. That's let's awesome. Get
1: after it, yes. Yeah. It keeps um, us fresh. I gotta say, yeah, it does.
0: Yeah. Do you all um, kind of work symbiotically, or uh, with the elementary school district, or y'all kind of share ideas, menu, so the transition isn't as steep, or is it kind of you know they run their program, you run your program, and I, neither answer is bad. I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, I think there's room that we can do more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't do it, in my opinion, enough uh, where, you know, I like to see us co use some items where, you know, the transition from elementary to middle school is it's not such a total uh, shock to students. But on the other side of it, Patrick, and I know you get this from being a chef, it's also good for us because yeah. it does create a wow right? Yeah, so right. When they come to us, and they're like, what, these guys got some on the menu? <laughs> or, you know, here's a far bowl. And what do you mean these chickpeas, these eggs came from chickens? And so it, it actually works in our, in our benefit, you know, so, you know, in our favor, man. So um, I love to be able to do some of those things. But, you know, we, we're we still going to continue to do sweet water. Um, yeah, is, you know, just try to knock the socks off our kids. And, our parents, in regards to the type of food that we serve, um and then for our team and us to have fun doing it. So,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I know I had that wow factor when uh, I was there. Um, I believe it was a middle school we visited that had the the farm there with the chickens running around, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, in a safe environment. And y'all had like a really aggressive uh, recycling program going on that was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then the food that came out—I mean, ceviche in you know, uh, well, I say seven through twelve program—you know, that's that's pretty cutting edge and then you know having noodle ramen fuss style bowls with eggs from the garden or you know from the from the school farm there i mean that's that's incredible you know that's, those are showstopper moments and um yeah I, I i can see the passion that you have for your program and that your team had and um, the administrators who were there from the different schools had nothing but just glowing things to say about your guys's programs and and how you um, meet the students' needs. It it was just, it was overwhelmingly awesome.
1: No, I appreciate that. And I, and I think, you know, for anybody out there listening, man, you have to have a, you have to have a relationship with your superintendent. And if you're like, for me, I'm not under a CFO, I'm I'm under my operations team. So I have a facilities and ops manager, uh, uh, assistant superintendent who, who gives us the room to do what we do. I have a superintendent that grew up in an area that understands how important food is. And so he totally supports what we're doing. Uh, I'm lucky that he used to be my boss too. Uh, So he's already had 13 years of crazy with me. So he gets it, Um, but it it allows us to have the room to be able to do those things that we do. Um, Because I've worked in other districts where that relationship wasn't as strong, and it's a lot of heavy lifting when you're trying to do something different. So, what I would just say is, you know, if you're not talking to your direct report or your supervisor and and uh, your superintendent, and and if you are dreaming, they should know what your vision is. And then yeah. if you can show them what the vision is, show them how you can execute it consistently, then you're going to be able to have the space to do like what well, we do. We 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 are we're doing so we're we're actually on some other stuff too man uh now you bring it up uh working with San Diego Unified we're working on a plan to uh look at how we can you know work with Harris Ranch to bring in some California beef. We're working with the organization that's taking sports fish, you know, and trying to figure out how we can get that into our, our menus and cafeterias. So yeah. You know, I couldn't even feel comfortable having these conversations if you know my superintendent or you know my direct boss wouldn't wouldn't support it. So
0: no, I mean that's a great point. I, I think a lot of directors um end up feeling like they're on an island and within their own district, right? And that they're even though they're part of the administration team, they're kind of last thought about and you know, not not getting that um that visibility that they really need. Um, but you're right, I mean, creating those relationships and then making yourself visible, I think is critical. And you're right, I mean, you're not gonna be able to take those, those goals that you have for your program and move them forward if you don't have the support of the superintendent or, you know, if you're in a district that's got a really supportive board or not supportive board, getting them on on board, I guess, yeah. with all that, I mean, it's critical. because um, there's only so many grants you can go for, there's only so many Different, different funding mechanisms out there to help move the train and move the needle, but uh, when you get the support of the district, it really starts changing everything and uh, it, it, grow, it, it can grow into a lot of different things. I saw a district in um, Olympia, Washington, um, and I'm really interested in going and checking what they're doing out, but they have a kind of a year-round alternative high school program that's a lot of farming. So they're teaching these students how to do farming and 25% of uh, the produce in in that school district's program is coming from that garden program mm-hmm. and that farm program. So I mean, you know, that that probably would never would have come to fruition if it wasn't people sitting down, communicating, talking big dreams, talking big ideas, and making it happen.
1: Yeah, no, see, I love that man because it's it's really like rethinking this model of school. <laughs> I'm not an yeah. educator. I, I you know I don't pretend to be or play one on TV. <laughs> But it's really obvious that some kids are not going to go to college, right? Right. That doesn't mean they don't have talent or they don't have skill or they can't figure out a way. If they had some tools and guidance on how to make a life for themselves. And instead of trying to fit everybody into boxes, how about we create a bunch of boxes, right? Yeah, absolutely. You can just find your box that you fit. And I love that. You know here are these kids an alternative when you say alternative is usually at risk there's usually some kids that might not have gone down the right path and made right. some choices and some of them might have been their choices but then now you're connecting them to something and you can connect them to food you can connect them with how they can make a living you can connect them to all. Oh, did you know that we're actually feeding our colleagues in school from from our effort i think that's right better. so i mean oh yeah I love that, man. I'll go to, I'll go there. I'll go, I'll go up there with you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Please do. Well, speaking of, speaking of boxes where you fit, um, you've shared a little bit of your story on how you came into child nutrition, but I'd I'd love to kind of hear the, the full breadth of it. Cause I know you are also a chef. Um, but, but you've, uh, you know, quietly kept that under wraps, um, as you've made your way through being a director and stuff. So if you could share with us, just kind of your path.
1: Sure. You know, um, man, growing up, I, I thought really I was going to be an athlete. I was an athlete. I thought I was going to, you know, like a lot of people, uh, I'm going to go to NFL. I'm going to play professionally. And and then reality hit. I wasn't <laughs> fast enough. I wasn't big enough. And um, I had to come up with a new game plan. Yeah. Uh, and so I decided to travel around the country, learn a little bit about myself. Yeah. Learn about, you know, the world. I grew up in Chicago, which where I grew up was, you know, really just, uh, you know, it wasn't like uh, the greatest of neighborhoods, but it really helped me build some values that I still carry today. And so as I started moving around and, you know, this um, one of the easiest places you can get a job is in a restaurant. You know, right. so I started um, like most people in the business did back in the day. Washing dishes, cleaning bathrooms, doing the whole nine yards. Um, I got a job at Arby's. Uh, I realized that I didn't like that uh counter work. So I asked him to (laughs) teach me how to make the roast. And and then I think that really like started to get the bug going in me.
0: And so,
1: you know, I continued to travel, um, went to school, you know, I had another goal. I thought I wanted to be an attorney and I was gonna go do that. And and I was like, no, I'm, I'm not really into that either. Uh, and I kind of went back to traveling and got an opportunity to go to, to culinary school because I kept cooking, you know, just moving myself up to different levels of, of yeah. you know, from dishwasher to uh, sauteing and working on lines. And, you know, um, and I'll tell you that any culinary person out there, man, if you can work the egg station <laughs> at a Denny's restaurant on a Mother's Day, you're a bad person. <laughs> you, you have talent. And so yeah, right. <laughs> you know so working working there man I was like okay I want to do something more got an opportunity to go to culinary school and then that's where really the the path to becoming a chef um I've worked in um you know Levy restaurants, Lattice your restaurants, freestanding restaurants for you know people in Chicago and in other places. I've probably been in four different states now, five states. Uh, working in food services my last oh. job you know I was Hyatt regency um I liked it but I was also getting burned out I was kind yeah. of a lot you know um and I I got an opportunity to meet uh Mr. Gary Patel who was the director at the time of San Diego Unified and he offered me a job and so that's how I got into K-12 but um I've always had a relationship with food and believe that food was important the type of food you serve the quality the colors on the plate the just the the passion that you put behind the, the items that you prepared um, those were important and so then to carry that on into k-12 it was just like a natural a natural fit for me
0: yeah well we're glad you're here because you're doing some great stuff no, um,
1: I appreciate it thank you
0: so I, I know the state of California and I'm sorry for the folks out there that aren't in the state of California, you all are getting a lot of really good benefits right now um, from the state to support your programs and um, continue to grow them. Um, you know, there's a kit grant, which I believe is a kitchen infrastructure and training, training. Yeah. and training. Right. So yeah. there's that piece and the, the state supported you all with that. And then with the um, with the meals at no cost for students, like how have those two pieces together help start shaping your program and what do you see on the horizon with being able to do more with those funds, the training, the, the, the uh, equipment components, and then knowing that your participation might be higher because students who were on that line who maybe didn't qualify for meals but their family, because of where they live in San Diego, really high um, cost mm-hmm. of living, you know, so mm-hmm. they didn't meet it there. Now now they can access these meals at no cost. Um, so did, did you see a jump in there? I'm, I'm asking the longest question in the world. I'm so sorry. No, hey.
1: I, I, no it's, it, but that's important. <laughs> all, all what you wrapped in there is important. And first of all, you know, I, I really just have to say, you know, our legislature, you know, was, was, uh, really awesome. And we had a senator here, uh, Senator Skinner, who really believed that what we were doing was important. And, and her work along with the, you know, the California School Nutrition Association was, was powerful. But it also helped that we had a governor, uh, and, and a partner, his partner, you know, his first partner that really believed that kids had a, a right to having access to food, right? Yeah, we, you know, basic, we don't think right. about it from just even just that simple thing, right? Kids have a right to have access to good, healthy food. And so when you have the people that can make these things like that happen, that is magical to me, right? That's magical. But then what so, also was awesome is that they realized that in order to make it happen, we needed to invest in it. We need to invest in the in the vehicles of how food is going to be delivered to kids. And when you think about nutrition programs, the mandate isn't that you uh, make a lot of money. It's basically you break even. And so some districts do better than others. Some don't have a whole lot of reserves. The the, the education side is not building and giving you funding to buy kitchen equipment. Right. You, know, you want to upgrade your kitchen equipment but you've got to upgrade the electrical and you've got to upgrade the plumbing. Where's that money coming from? Right. State realized that, okay, if we're going to support this, we got to invest in it. And I'm a true believer in you fund what you believe in. And so that kit money was really helpful in building out for my district, some of that infrastructure that we needed to replace some of the equipment that we needed to also have the electrical and wi-fi and things like that upgraded uh, because in california we're not like most um, states where there's cafeteria dedicated you know our kids eat out on the quad they eat around campus so we have to go out there where they are where a lot of time is if we don't have a data drop or we don't have some wi-fi access it's very difficult to keep the signals working so you lose a lot of meals because just you can't keep you can't keep up with the with the Wi-Fi,
0: right? So that yeah, us to,
1: It's funny, right? Like you don't even think about it to that to that level, but it allowed us to invest in 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 um in that infrastructure.
0: Yeah, that's I mean, like you're giving it. me flashbacks to when I was a director, and something would get some technology would go down, and you know, you're rushing to figure out how to get a roster to a site just in right. time so you can make it happen, and yeah, I mean. I'm actually i'm feeling a little anxious just thinking about that so i mean those are those are critical yeah. parts yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you i just I no
1: no check. but i mean but it is and so if you feel that you know that all the all the directors that are listening feel that too right that yeah you know for years we haven't gotten the funding or you know we weren't able to, to get access to yeah we got a lot of money but now i can't spend any of that money to upgrade any of the the electrical or any other infrastructure that needed to be, um, fixed. So that part helped us also the money for training, um, yeah. especially coming out of COVID when, you know, we stopped on a Friday and then basically turned a dime on a Monday went from, you know, from, from us scratch cooking and speed scratch cooking to now we're going back to, um, I won't say back to, cause we didn't do that here, but. You're packaging up bags of food and giving it to families. And you run that for a couple of years, your team gets out of sync of how to work in the kitchen, how to operate in the volume. And so the training yeah. was really helpful because we can bring culinarians back in. We can introduce them to how food is, you know, should be made and, and really build up their system and really invest in the staff. So that kitchen infrastructure money was really, really important and key. Now, yeah. how,
0: how much that just out of curiosity did you turn over a lot of staff during those few years you know yes. when, with COVID yeah I kind of figured and those yes. folks are coming in learning one program that we don't usually run outside of these crazy situations of the pandemic yep. and then to bring them back in with you know a regulatory program that we run and that's probably that's, it's a big learning curve when someone starts new and then it's like oh, I knew my job and now I realize I don't know my job. So that's huge.
1: Yeah, because you go back to what you talked about earlier with, you know, school, right? When kids have a big period of time away from school, they lose that knowledge. Yeah. We were losing a lot of institutional knowledge because some of our, you know, more you know mature uh, uh, employees that are closer to retirement were retiring, you know, so you lose that information and and you need to make sure you can get it back and you can keep it going and so that that investment was helpful for us
0: yeah absolutely have you seen an uptick in participation with the the accessibility to meals now for students who maybe didn't have that before
1: yeah you know what's the funniest thing is so we we were having some great success in our low Free, you know, excuse me, our high free and reduced sites, right? So we're we're feeding, you know, 56, 58% of those students. But in our low free and reduced sites, you know, which happen to be big population sites, uh-huh. we we're even feeding 50% of the free and reduced students. Oh, okay. So that's, that's stigma, right? So, right. you know, if, 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 you know, Johnny's got, know that he's got some money. He's not going to eat, but then Billy is next to him, and Billy might be hungry, but he doesn't want Johnny to think he's hungry, so you know he won't eat also. Uh, but what we're what we've seen is that the pay rate students that that level of low participating students has quadrupled. You know, we're wow. we're feeding. Uh, we've gone from four hundred meals a day to over eleven hundred meals a day and four or five of those sites so
0: that's that's dramatic growth
1: i mean it is and, and then when you really you sit down and you can look at it and say you know some people will be like you know pessimistic oh you know we're feeding these kids that are have money but what you found and what we find and what i'm a believer in is that kids were hungry man yeah. they just didn't want to come to the cafeteria for whatever reason right they mm-hmm. didn't think it was cool they didn't feel like they you know uh my status was a certain way that i i couldn't eat and so those kids are hungry too yeah so absolutely you have some money in your pocket and you're going to wait to go to a restaurant off the campus you're still hungry
0: yeah
1: and what we found is that those kids are hungry and no matter what your economic status is kids want to eat food, man. That's the thing. <laughs> I'm just as simple. It's not like rocket. And yeah. you know this. It's not rocket science, man. Kids yeah. eat. We provide meals for them to eat. We make sure they taste good. And then the kids are going to eat them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the insurance ensuring children have access to food. It's, it hits so many different areas, right? I mean, in school, I know administrators, teachers, they're really looking for, you know, those Um, educational outcomes, you know, students who are well fed, have less behavior problems, maybe end up doing better in school because, you know, they're not hungry, they can actually retain information better, test better, all those types of things. But I mean, you start thinking about it, it's just the overall health outcomes of of our nation, right? I mean, if we're providing students with opportunities to eat foods that are healthy, wholesome, nutrient dense, right? I mean, they're, they're starting to, develop new patterns and you're giving them access to those new patterns are going to help hopefully with better health outcomes for them in the long term which can help you know kind of hopefully turn the tide on our national i, mean, I think personally we have a national crisis in health in our country with you know obesity and uh, i mean i'm a little overweight I mean, i'm not gonna lie but you know there's a lot of things that we can do that are diet based and you know access is number one to be able to help start turning that tide
1: yeah that's a that's a great point because when you think about people, um I was trying to think of that one one movie um oh man it was about about kind of like fast food and how you have access to all this food, right? so mm-hmm. but you don't have access to the really positive nutrients in the food like right You can have a fridge or a you know cabinet full of food. But if the food is not good, it's not really supporting you. And so, what we are doing in K twelve, which again, a shout out to all of all of my colleagues, and what we're doing is we're providing great food, nutrient dense food to students, and you know, th- two to three times a day, man, that's that's awesome. So yeah. we can continue to sync that up where. The elementary, like for me, the elementary districts that feed into my district, those kids are starting young, eating healthy. By the time they get to me, they've they've built a really good foundation and we're helping to send them off to college. And then when they get to college, they know that they need to keep their nutrition up. And those are how we build long lasting systems that are gonna change these outcomes that you talk about. And like some things that we don't even discuss, and I know this is a K-12, you know forum but there is a high number of college students and first-year college students that don't have access to food you know yeah. they don't know about snap benefits and things like that that could support them you know these kids are leaving at home and then they have no idea how to eat so that are hey. 15 or whatever how much is that you know really is, is 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 garbage food that they're eating because we're not really building good habits and so I think that we should think even beyond our program and how do we send kids out long term?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's a that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, we they, they leave our, our programs and um, they go to these campuses where there's all you care to eat programs, there's um, the a la carte style dining, but a lot of residential dining on, on college campuses, um, you know, tend to gravitate more towards comfort food. You know, they do have the helpful, healthful options a lot of times, students still gravitate towards maybe those those less healthy options because it feels comforting in the moment of eating it, and they don't realize yet that like if I eat something more nutritionally balanced, you know, I would probably feel better in the long term. But they're homesick, they're around new people, they're a whole new world's opened up to them, so they're they're reaching for those those easy easy wins, right? And food, which I think we're kind of somehow in the Western diet ingrained to, but uh, I think you're right with you know. I know you're right, setting them up for success in in the K-12 space is gonna pay dividends in the end.
1: Yeah, and I think to tag into what you're doing, right, and what ICN is doing and the culinary part of what you're doing, you know, all the recipes, right? Like how many of us are putting culturally relevant dishes on for one, but how many of us are pushing even the envelope of what that, that culture, that the dominant number of culture you have they may eat a certain way but how are we introducing them to different types of culture How are we different different types of foods so when they when they go so when they go away to eat uh you know go away to school they have access oh i didn't even know that i could eat this mediterranean or i can be eating some different you know uh type of dishes and and i think using our cafeterias as introductions to world cuisine are is going to help those students and in, in their lives long term. So uh, I'm a big believer in that,
0: yeah, no, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, introducing students is something and I know fish is not wildly popular in schools, but there's no reason it couldn't be. and you introduce students to something really amazing, you know, fish tacos where you're steaking frozen sides of fish, doing your own house blend seasoning, and then a beautiful slaw and tortillas. I mean, I would rather eat that and it's it's nutrient dense, it's flavorful, it tastes better than a hamburger or a slice of pizza. Like you feel better after you eat that too. And, you know, trying to get students to gravitate away from those pizza and burger lines and come over and try those, um, you know, more nutrient dense, but like full of flavor. I mean, that's the big thing is we need to work as a nation in K-12 to start developing more flavor in what we're serving. And get those taste buds and receptors and you're absolutely right with introducing different cultural, and maybe it's not even the population within your district, but bringing in things that are just different and, and expanding horizons, you know creating comfort for the Western diet and the um, the you know the different um, culturally appropriate foods, but then you know expanding upon that and and really driving it that way I think is is awesome
1: yeah you mentioned um and i and i think they're kind of tagging them in as well um because you came in uh to our district with chef ann and and like what they were doing with the apprentice program and you know i think that's where we got to get to right is also how do we get our staff trained and how do we how do we recruit people who have a culinary background because it's really important a difference from us and Let's say the colleges universities and restaurants is they're getting a, a little higher uh I say culinarily trained not just yeah. uh, there's no level and quality of people but um when you have those skills where you know you can now add a walk station or you can now add you know a quick fry station or doing some quick sauteing things like that and you bring that those onto the campuses i mean it just opens up a wide variety so uh, just again, a shout out to them for, you know, these programs that, that that are designed to help us to bring more talented, skilled people into our program. So that's going to help us up, you know, really, you know, uplift the type of food that we serve.
0: It's really yeah, important. I mean, I think K-12 is the, the best kept secret, which it shouldn't be a secret in the hospitality industry. Coming over here, I mean, first of all, you get to make a difference in the, in the lives of the students that you're feeding. I mean, that's that's huge. Right. I mean, you're a difference maker, but you get a quality of life that you're not getting in other facets of the hospitality industry. I mean, you're just not. Right? I mean, we get our weekends off. We get our holidays off. We're at home in the evening. We can still go and coach T-ball or go to a movie with our friends or out to dinner. When We worked in restaurants, It was you had no life it was work it was just work all the time right like it's you get, open your eyes to this whole new world and you're like holy smokes so there's sunshine i didn't know that existed because i'm at work before the sun comes up until after it goes down you know
1: like vitamin that. d touching that's your skin that. for the
0: first time yeah I
1: mean, I like it's, sunshine. that's just, that's true right I yeah joke, man, i joke and i say if if you know uh, there's a good and all. you know good thing bad thing right had I known coming out of culinary school that I could have been working, you know, probably not directly after because I was chasing uh, my own dream there. But man, early in my career, if I had known that I didn't have to work eighty hours a week uh, in, in restaurants and hotels, and and nights and weekends and holidays, and being the, the omelet guy on Mother's Day, you know, yeah. on the buffet. Like I could have been at home with my mom. <laughs> I, yeah, I would have definitely been in K twelve, but the downside is I, I would have been retired by now.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's good that you know folks coming right out of culinary school go spend a little bit of time out there in the industry. Because there's a lot of things that you learn there that you don't learn in school. Actually, you know, applying applying your your trade out in the field and then being able to bring that back in to a meaningful space like K twelve I think is just a great opportunity. Um, you know, I, I I struggle sometimes with um, you know folks coming right out of school and then taking leadership roles in this this space because you know you have to know how to manage people and um, you know, school doesn't teach you that. It's through experience. It's through experiencing good and bad management that you learn those things, and um, those are leadership traits that take a while to build. So, coming right out of school and trying to convince a staff of fifteen or three hundred and fifty people that we're making a big direction change, and you don't have the experience to lead those folks—that's that's a big ask.
1: I think, I think you you set me up. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not trying to set you up. (laughs) I think you set me up because, you know, I, I, I think that's true, right? And I think it's, I think it's very hard. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think it's very hard to lead people if you've never done the task. And if you never, you know, I'm not saying it's impossible, I'm not, you know, saying it's impossible, but I'm saying it builds more credibility when you know, when I'm asking someone to make 500 of something and wrap it and cook it and do X, Y, and Z with it, that I understand the the struggle that that would be to do. And so then it makes it it makes me think about as I'm menu planning, as my team is menu planning and yeah, we got all these fabulous ideas that we want to do, but what's the impact to our team, right? Right. And so that's something that I I make sure I weigh all the time um because, you know, I I've had the experience of working with really difficult chefs and 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 I won't call them leaders but really difficult people that um it was only about the outcome it wasn't about the people that did the job right yeah I think the difference in k-12 is all about the people first like you got to build the team and build the team to know that they can do these new things and and uh, you know you made me think about when when i first started and we were we were going to uh start moving the raw product mm-hmm. and we had um A big meeting, a big meeting about it with everyone. And I have 250 employees and we talked about it. And and they were like, we don't think we can do that. And, you know, it's impossible. And I just asked a simple question. I was like, okay, by a show of hands, how many of you, when you're cooking dinner or a meal for your family, how many of you go and pull out a pre-cooked hamburger, a pre-cooked chicken, whatever it may be? How many of you do that? when you're at home, and and no hands went up. right? Because everybody's cooking from scratch, right? Everybody's making food from however they're putting it, whether it's straight from scratch or if it's speed scratch, everyone's doing some sort of process of food that isn't involved with just pulling something out of a paper bag or a box and putting it in the oven. And so when you can get that level of understanding that you already have a skill, And now we're going to train you how to do it. And so one of the first things we did, we we brought in some chefs. And knowing that we weren't going to have the team break down chickens. Right. But we taught them how to actually cut up a chicken.
0: Yeah. And that's a life skill.
1: It's a life skill. And so then you're building confidence. But you're also building something that now, since most of our, our team, you know, they're ladies. And we're building something for them to take now show their husbands they can do, they show their kids. And it's building this whole new program, even at home, about what you're capable of doing. And that to me is leadership. That to me is then now you're showing people there's no limit. There's no ceiling. We just have to train. You have to first know that you can do it, first know that you were doing it. And now we're just going to give you the skill set you need to to accomplish it.
0: Yeah. I mean training, 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 training. And it doesn't have to be this big, formalized, scary training, right? Just getting beside someone that's struggling and working with them and, you know, showing them a couple of tricks, like maybe they're just cutting potatoes for roasting, right. And
1: yeah.
0: it's going slow and they're hating it, you know, jumping there with them and show them a little, you know, ways to be a little bit faster, join them in some conversation, get to know them a little bit. All of a sudden you've gained an ally in the kitchen and they, they start working faster too. I mean, because they they feel more confident. They're not as nervous. They're, they're, you're kind of right there with them in, in the front lines and just taking that little bit of time. 20 minutes, grab a cutting board. You can't make 20 minutes out of your day. I mean, I know people can't do it for every single person, right? Because economy is scale, but just those little wins, right? And then that person can be the next person that jumps next to somebody cutting those potatoes and helps them. So you're creating, you know, a a pipeline of trainers without even really formalizing it, right? You're just, you've got this skill set that you're growing within your program.
1: No, that's just, that's really awesome. I like, I like that.
0: And you know I think sometimes in as leaders we forget you know to, to grab the mop or grab a cutting board or some hot pads and you know just get in the kitchen for a day spend time with your staff understand why they're doing what they're doing instead of just if they're not doing things the way you'd like them to be doing them or the way you feel is most efficient you know understand understand their why before you try to tell them yours you know yeah, I think those are huge things
1: no, I agree and that's, I think that lends to again that building camaraderie where it's not ivory tower leadership. It's actually mm-hmm. down on the ground, elbow to elbow leadership. So no, that's that's great. So I hope people are listening and taking some notes, man. Because yeah, uh, that's some wisdom. That's some wisdom right there, Patrick.
0: Well, you know, I think you know, we shared some conversations and somehow leadership always comes back up. And um somehow, you know, through this podcast, here we are. <laughs> yeah. And leadership becomes a theme. And I think it's it's important to um, lead by example. And, you know, I think you're one of the better examples of that. And, you know, um, you know, communicate with your staff, communicate with your team, give them the tools, give them the resources. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess with all that in mind, what might be your next big vision of a, a you know, a turn in the program that you want real ready to chunk off or tackle or a pipe dream even just kind of as a closing thought here.
1: Yeah. So, um, man, we, I like, thank you for that part because that's, that's a big thing. So we, we won, um, were, you know, awarded the CDFA, uh, incubator grant. And I have been working on an idea I call micro local, which is to, uh, grow food on our campuses that are going to be served in our cafeterias. Yeah. So the big thing right now is, building capacity at our pilot farm you know at one point we had prior to COVID we had over 400 chickens you know we were uh-huh. getting ready to go into some more chickens and then get to harvesting those chickens once they stop laying to come in and be part of our meal program uh so we're we're working on building that that back up uh and then adding in you know orchard and and you know really getting our compost and food rescue plan uh, around the district Uh, And then the other piece is is having a garden on every campus that is uh, something that kids work in. And then hopefully off of those gardens to build on those campuses as well, larger growing opportunities or, you know, so let's say if they want to grow in their garden salad greens, like how can we do a program, whether it's a container garden or a hydroponic garden that then now that can provide the lettuce that's going to go into that cafeteria or can we get enough that's going to grow into, you know, serving two or three cafeterias. So, yeah, that's that's my next uh, goal is to uh, really build out that piece. Um, and so we are just kind of, you know, at, at one level, one is rebuilding because we lost a lot of ground. Yeah. COVID. So it's rebuilding. Um, I think my, my big win is going to be convincing my, 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 legal team to let me get <laughs> bee husbandry on the campuses. Oh, you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, when you're thinking about farming and you're thinking about farmer school, you know, you don't think about the pollinators and Yeah, so it's that's critical, you know, and on campuses and, and it may happen around other, other districts that, you know, what happens when you get a beehive on your campus? Are they being rescued? Are they being saved? Or are they being eliminated? And so when we think about their part of th- this whole food puzzle, um, so that's where I'm getting to. Uh, we're also really looking at um uh, getting a little deeper dive into ingredients and what what you know, like down to grain and you know, how the grain is treated. And we're so we're we're gonna take it to the next level. And I'm I'm I, I got a few more years. Uh, yeah. Then, uh, so that's you look
0: like you could play 35 in the, in the movie. So you're uh, doing great. <laughs> <good>.
1: Thank
0: you. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I think you guys, you know, your district's fortunate too. You got you got kind of the the perfect setup there to do this expansive micro farming you know you're in a warm region you got the year-round school i mean that's a big barrier for a lot of folks is the growing season unfortunately is when their students are gone so yeah you guys got some really great opportunities there
1: yeah and the other part you know is man and, and hopefully they'll listen to it i tell them this all the time anyway i have an awesome team man I, my, my team just My four area supervisors, my 23 supervisors, my 23 cooks and assistant cooks and, you know, the the 180 other employees that I have really allow us the opportunity to do what we do. And so um, I just happen to be, you know, podcast face for today. But those those guys give give us the freedom to be able to do what we do, man. So uh, I like to shout out to my team, uh, Jonathan, uh, Stephanie. Uh, Bernice and Jade, you know, they really help us to do what we're doing, man. I got, got an awesome team.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, awesome teams are also a credit to the way they've been designed and built by by leadership. So it's a credit to you as well. I know you're humble and you're probably not going to take the compliment, but mm-hmm. one is being extended to you. Like, you know, you built a team around you that trusts you and trust is I'm starting to read a book from Stephen Covey right now, The Speed of Trust, and really try to start digging in on some of that kind of stuff.
1: And again, these leadership themes and
0: talks. Yeah, Yeah,
1: that's next. And then maybe next time we talk about the 100-year plan.
0: Yeah, yeah. The 100-year plan. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Eric. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Catch us next time on the next episode of The Mix-Up. Join us next time as we continue to mix it up with culinary experts and program operators from the child nutrition community. Stay motivated, keep cooking, and let's nourish a healthier generation. This project has been funded at least in part with federal funds from the United States Department of Agriculture, Food and Nutrition Service through an agreement with the Institute of Child Nutrition at the University of Mississippi. The content of this publication does not necessarily reflect the views or policies of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, nor does mention of trade names, commercial products, or organizations imply endorsement by the U.S. government. The University of Mississippi is an EEO, AA, Title VI, Title IX, Section 504, ADA, ADEA employer. In accordance with federal civil rights law and U.S. Department of Agricultural Civil Rights regulations and policies, this institution is prohibited from discriminating on the basis of race, color, national origin, sex, including gender identity and sexual orientation, disability, age, or reprisal or retaliation for prior civil rights activity. To file a program discrimination complaint, a complainant should complete a form AD-3027 USDA Program Discrimination Complaint Form, which can be obtained online or from any USDA office by calling 866-632-9992 or by writing a letter addressed to USDA. The letter must contain the complainant's name, address, telephone number, and a written description of the alleged discriminatory action in sufficient detail to inform the Assistant Secretary of Civil Rights about the nature and date of an alleged civil rights violation. The completed ad-3027 form or letter must be submitted to usda by either mail at u.s department of agriculture office of assistant secretary for civil rights 1400 independence avenue southwest washington dc 20250-9410 or by fax at either 833-256-1665 or 202-690 7442 or by email at program.intake at USDA.gov. The USDA is an equal opportunity provider, employer, and lender.